What's up, you guys? I'm Andrea. And I'm Haley. And you're listening to Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Hello from Southern California, where it is pouring rain for me, <laughs> which is just not normal. And yeah. so, of course, I have to bring it up because I'm a Californian. And whenever it rains in California, everybody here is like, it's raining because it doesn't happen often. So, <laughs> Does everybody forget how to drive when it's raining? Oh, yeah. People don't know how to drive. Well, it's also partially an issue because our roads are not meant for rain and so they flood very easily so there's there's that too and it is hard to drive when there's like a lot of standing water yeah and it's because our roads are not meant for this much rain and so that doesn't help there we actually had a flash flood warning in my neighborhood last week um thankfully we were okay but yeah yeah, this is just the start of the storm and it's supposed to happen like all week so i'm kind of pumped to like just stay cozy yeah I think the think there's like a couple storms um, going across the U.S. So yeah, we'll see. But yeah, it's raining here in Southern California. I'm like, fuck the rain. I want some snow. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready for summertime. So, yeah, I am too. I'm so ready. I love summer. This is my favorite. I feel like as soon as Christmas passes, I'm like, all right, ready summer. for summer. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, me too. But. Anyway, that's weather with Haley and Andrea. Yeah. Probably the podcast you came here for, right? Yeah. Because you guys just love when we banter. Some of you do. Some of you don't. Some people do. Yeah. I mean, that was what? Like a minute and a half? Yeah. We just throw it in. You know, we'll sprinkle every once in a while. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've had the weather update, uh, (laughs) I'm going to be sharing with you guys a very old, not very old, but a pretty old cold case. Okay. Which you guys know I hate. I hate cold cases. I hate them so mm-hmm. much. They are just so heartbreaking. But they're important to share. They are very important to share. Yes, they are very, very important to share. Um, this is going to be the murders of Barbara and Patricia Grimes. Okay, I've definitely heard of this. Yeah, I feel like it's one that, I don't know, it's not super well known, but I feel like other podcasts have covered it. I haven't listened to any of the other episodes, so I don't know. Um, But I came across it in a list of like the most notorious cold cases or something like that. Um, And I put it on my list a while ago. And then I was like, I need to do because I, you know, I've been covering a lot of disappearances, which are also equally important. But I wanted to cover a cold case. Um, okay. To kind of bring it back, you know, to the public's attention, if you will. Yeah. Barbara Jean Grimes was born on May 5th, 1941 to Joseph Cornelius and Loretta Marcella Grimes. A few years later, her baby sister, Patricia Kathleen, was born on December 31st, 1943. Instantly, Barbara fell head over heels in love with her baby sister and they became inseparable. So all throughout their childhood, they were referenced as attached at the hip. So you could imagine how close their relationship was. Yeah. Just like, that's really sweet. Yeah. 
1951, after a long separation, sadly, their parents officially ended their marriage and the girls went to live with their mother. So I tried desperately to find more information about the other siblings because the girls were two of seven children. And I think they kind of fell in the meat in the middle of that. I know they had some older siblings and some younger siblings. I just don't know where exactly they fell, you know, in line with the other siblings. Um, okay. But it does sound like the family was relatively close. And even like they had a, a civil amicable divorce. Um, so I think that they still like were close and kept in contact and things were okay, even though, you know, their parents got divorced. Right. Okay. So as I mentioned, the sisters were two of seven children, but sadly in 1954, one of their older sisters, Leona died of an illness. So that was kind of a, you know, major damper on their family and they, were then left with just the six children. Okay. Mm. <clears throat> I know, it's so sad, especially knowing what we're about to learn. Mm. On December 28th, 1956, 15-year-old Barbara and 12-year-old Patricia were filled with excitement as they left home to go see the heartthrob Elvis Presley in <laughs> Love Me Tender at the Brighton Theater <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> I love that. So the girls who were respectfully obsessed with Elvis Presley had already seen the Love Me Tender movie 10 times. <laughs> That's so cute, though. I, know. I love that. I do, too. Because I, I loved Elvis when I was a kid. I did. I was like, I loved him so much. I loved his music. <laughs> I loved him. I just I just had that love for Elvis. I feel like a lot of people. Yeah. It's not, like, super common, but I feel like a lot of people probably had that same sentiment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the girls pleaded with their mother, Loretta, to let them catch the evening show, promising to return by midnight. There was a double feature that night, and that, of course, intrigued them, and they told their mom, you know, there might be a possibility that they would stay for it, but they would be home by midnight, which honestly I feel like is really late for 15 and 12, but it's the 50s. They live in a quote-unquote safe community. They were together, you know, so. Yeah, I could it's. I mean, I don't think it's that wild that suspicious yeah so their mother relented and around 7 30 p.m the sisters embarked on their short bus ride to the theater when midnight rolled around with no sign of the girls their family grew increasingly worried loretta sent two of her other children 17 year old Teresa and 14 year old joey to the bus stop to wait for their sisters despite three buses passing by barbara and patricia were nowhere to be seen. Meanwhile, Loretta frantically reached out to family and friends, hoping the girls had, you know, simply lost track of time, which can happen when you're a teenager. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. Like, oh my God, we're yeah. past curfew. Crap. Yeah. No, that, I feel like that happens all the time. Yeah. When their absence became undeniably alarming around 2 15 a.m., Loretta made the difficult call to report Barbara and Patricia missing to the Chicago Police Department. Mm, okay. It's like, then you have to accept, like, 
All right. They're actually missing. Yeah, something's wrong. What ensued was a grueling search and investigation for the missing sisters, marking one of the most labor-intensive missing persons cases in the history of Chicago and Cook County, where the girls lived. That's crazy. The city mobilized a widespread effort enlisting hundreds of local volunteers and assembling a dedicated task force focused solely on locating the missing girls. Wow, that's really impressive. I know. I was like, I'm so glad that they didn't just automatically jump to their runaways. Right, because that's what always happens. And I feel yep. like they were they're at that age where like they could have done that, could have said that. Like, oh yeah, well, they're old enough to make their own decision. Maybe they just wanted to go off on their own. It's right. Like, no. The search effort encompassed thousands of man hours and involved the deployment of a considerable number of police officers from Chicago and neighboring towns, including LaGrange, Justice, Bridgeview, Summit, Bedford Park, Willow Springs, and the Cook County Forest Preserve Police. So they had a lot of hands on deck, which is amazing. Yeah, that, wow. Several eyewitnesses, including one of Patricia's school friends, Dorothy Weinert, came forward confirming that she had seen the sisters in the theater on the night they went missing. So they were there. Right. Yep. Okay. Several people witnessed them at the theater, too. Saw them there. Okay. Right. So that at least, like, narrows down. Like, okay, we know they made it there. Yeah. Dorothy, who was at the theater with her own sister, recalled sitting right behind Barbara and Patricia during the showing. According to her statement to the police, she last saw the sisters around 9.30 p.m. So she didn't, I guess, like, her and her sister didn't stay for the additional showing. Okay. And they left around 9.30. So after that, you know, she just had no eyes on the two girls. Okay. In the wake of their disappearance... The Chicago PD conducted extensive door-to-door canvassing across Brighton Park, while numerous canals and rivers were searched as well. Additionally, over 15,000 flyers were distributed to homes in the area, and members of the church that the family attended banded together to offer a $1,000 reward for any information that could aid in locating Barbara and Patricia. On January 9th, a tip came in from a Minnesota woman who was traveling in Nashville and swore she met the sisters in a Nashville bus station restroom. So this tip reluctantly made headlines and that, of course, spurred rumors that the girls were headed to Memphis to visit Elvis Presley's home. Because, of course, why else would they be going in, right. in Nashville, you know? Yeah. And after that, Elvis himself issued a statement saying, if you are good Presley fans, you'll go home and ease your mother's worries. Okay. I'm side-eyeing you, I remember Presley. this when I heard, <laughs> yeah, when I heard the case because it's like, that makes me so mad because he could have spoken out and said... If you know anything, come forward. And that could have reached so many people. But instead, he said, 
if you're good press Elvis Presley fans, you'll go home. And it's like, well, what if they didn't run away? But also if that's right. how the police and the media are like saying that that's what they did, that they ran away to go whatever for whatever reason, then you can't fully blame him because it's like, yeah, maybe that's just the information he was getting. But also if you're a public figure and you're going to make a statement about missing people, like even if they did run away, they are under 18, they are missing children. Yeah. So like, even if they ran away, they still need to be found. Patricia so, was 12. Like she's a baby. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, so if you're going to be, if you're a public figure and have like a big following where people will listen to what you say and you're going to make a statement like that, make sure you have all of the information. So I can't really yeah. say like, oh, maybe he just didn't know because it's like, well, you should have known if you were going to. Right. As much as I like Elvis Presley, it's like, come <laughs> on. Yeah. Well, I think at this point, so it, it was it was slowly starting to get painted in the media that they may have ran away even though police were still investigating this as a disappearance there were some little sprinkles of information that were starting to lead people to believe that maybe they did run away so i think that okay maybe in conjunction with that and like just it being 1950 and just assuming whatever you want to assume he made that statement but regardless it upset their family because you know this this was starting to feel like they were losing interest people were not caring and their parents knew better and they insisted that their daughters were in danger yeah and again even if the police or the media is painting it that way if he was going to make a statement they should have had the information from the police and gone with what authorities are saying not what the media is saying agree like Agreed. Mm-hmm. And either don't make a statement or say something like, because again, there are children missing. So even if they ran away, they need to be found and brought home because they're yeah. children and that's how it works. And so if he's going to make a statement, it should be like, you know, if you fi- see them, let authorities know. Please help. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was a, step step backwards in the case making that statement which he probably had no idea that he did that but yeah you know but again if i feel like i'm beating a dead horse (laughs) it's like nothing we can do like nobody used their brain in this time frame i swear when it comes to like missing children because they're like okay like we talked about in another case like recently okay so what if they did run away they're still children they need to be found and brought home point blank period to, to you know right right. yep so on january 11th loretta went to the chicago daily tribune pleading to the person responsible person or persons responsible for her daughter's disappearance stating quote if whoever took my girls would just let them go i'll forgive them from the bottom of my heart oh if someone is holding them please let the girls call me so freaking heartbreaking that is mm, just shatters me i know it had been 25 excruciating days since loretta had last seen her daughters through this distressing time the family clung 
to Hope, cherishing every memory of the girls and praying for their safe return. On January 22, 1957, a construction worker named Leonard Prescott had an unusual encounter on, on German Church Road in Chicago. So Leonard thought he saw two mannequins behind the guardrail when he was driving by. So No, it's not a mannequin. He actually drove home to get his wife, Marie, and brought her back to the location. And upon further inspection with his wife, they discovered that the figures were actually two young girls. And Leonard had to carry his wife back to the car after this shocking discovery. When investigators arrived, they found Barbara and Patricia's bodies hidden by a recent snowfall, which had preserved them in the freezing temperature. Both girls were nude, and Barbara was found lying on her left side with her head covered by Patricia while Patricia was on her back with puncture wounds to her chest. Oh, my God. Despite marks and bruises on Barbara's face, no signs of fatal violence were found. It was concluded that both sisters had tragically succumbed to secondary shock from exposure to freezing temperatures. Medical experts concluded the girls died the night they went missing, December 28th, but they were baffled by the findings in their autopsies. So Patricia, I mentioned the puncture wounds on her chest. They, they kind of thought that they were made by like a small pen knife or an ice pick. Oh God. Okay. But it was superficial. So not obviously not fatal. Right. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the medical experts had one question. How could the murderer have killed both girls in a manner that was undetectable? Right. Dr. Jerry Kearns of St. Elizabeth's Hospital stated, quote, He used a method which we are unable to detect. Perhaps he is a person trained in chemistry with a knowledge of unusual poisons, which at that time they were unable to test because it was 1950. They had minimal testing for those kind of things. Yeah. When police notified Loretta that the girls had been found, she wailed into the phone, quote, you wouldn't believe me. Oh, my God. Barbara and Patricia's father, Joseph, stated in an article in the Chicago Daily Tribune on January 23rd, quote, I tried to tell police my daughters didn't run away, but they didn't listen to me. Mm. That makes it 10 times worse because she's like, she was trying so hard. Yeah, to convince them. I mean, they they continued to investigate. So I feel like they did everything they could yeah, they, I mean, to find the girls. Yeah. But, you know, it's never enough. I mean, it's just never enough. Yeah. And I feel like it was more of like the media and the public that was painting the yeah. picture that sh- they had run away. So like. I mean, it's just as heartbreaking. It really is. Barbara and Patricia were buried on Monday, January 28th, exactly one month to the day after they vanished. 
and their murders were no closer to being solved. Naturally, the discovery horrified Chicagoans and the working-class Catholic neighborhood where the Grimes family lived. The public demanded answers, and this pressured law enforcement into overdrive. Over 300,000 people were questioned. What? With around 2,000 individuals subjected to serious interrogations pertaining to their potential culpability wow that's insane that's what i'm saying they is investigated this this crime i mean they really right. did okay well good for them at least they really were like working on it. on it yeah yeah at one point the fbi became involved because loretta received two known at least two known ransom notes so at that point you know yeah they feel like it becomes a a ransom situation the FBI has to get involved. Right. After tons of leads, eyewitness accounts, and interrogations, eventually arrests were made and charges were brought against two individuals who actually confessed to the crimes. <laughs> okay. So the first was 21-year-old Edward Bedwell, a drifter from Tennessee who worked as a dishwasher on the Chicago's west side. So the restaurant that he worked at, the owner claimed that Bedwell and another man had been at the restaurant with two girls who looked like Barbara and Patricia in the early morning hours of December 30th. Bedwell was arrested and interrogated for three days. Oh my God. Not a good sign. I don't love, I don't love that. I mean, I, I believe in interrogations, but I believe that there needs to be breaks and there needs to be, you know, put him in a cell, whatever, yeah. let him rest. And then, yeah, because at that cause... point, like, too, if if they're exhausted, I get the point of like wanting to get him to like, you know, maybe the point of ex- exhaustion. Hey. So he'll give up what yeah. he knows. But also that can lead to false confessions, which is not good for anybody. It's like, oh, we have answers. OK, for a hot second until you realize that it's a false confession yeah. and it just it goes yeah. nowhere. So. It's all pointless. Waste of time. Yeah. So Bedwell claimed that the restaurant owners and a restaurant patron who substantiated the owner's statements were mistaken about the identity of the girls he was with. So he wasn't denying that he was with two girls. He was just saying it was not Barbara and Patricia. Interesting. Okay. Nonetheless, Bedwell was formally charged with the murders on January 27th, 1957. According to reports, Bedwell signed a 14-page confession stating that he and 28-year-old William Cole Willingham had been with the Grimes sisters on December 30th until January 7th, drinking in many West Madison Street Skid Row bars, which is a very seedy area of town. Right. Okay. Bedwell claimed that after several days with the girls, he and his partner fed them some hot dogs and then beat them to death before throwing them in a snow-filled ditch after the girls refused their sexual advances. Oh, my God. Nevertheless, 
forensic evidence contradicted his account as their autopsy showed no traces of hot dogs or alcohol in the girl's systems, as well as no signs of a fatal beating. Ultimately, Bedwell confessed to falsely admitting to the crimes under duress after a prolonged interrogation, and he was eventually released. Wow. Gosh, can you imagine how much time was wasted? Yes. So frustrating. Exactly. And I get like they're trying to find the killer, but it's like that those time and resources could have been spent elsewhere. I agree. I mean, just they could have just those those details would have been a clear indicator that he did not do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There could have been a lot that they could have. Yeah. (laughs) So frustrating. The second man was 53 year old Walter Kranz, a steam fitter and self-proclaimed psychic. Interesting. So on January 15th, he made a strange call to the Chicago's central police complaint room and disclosed that both sisters were deceased and that their bodies lay in an uncorporated area of Lyons Township. Despite refusing to identify himself, he insisted that he had foreseen this tragedy in a dream before abruptly ending the call. Okay. Luckily, authorities managed to trace the call to a location near Cran's residence, and it was noted that the park that he referenced in the call was situated just a mile from where the girls' bodies were ultimately found. So police questioned Kranz, and he credited his vision to a night of heavy drinking, asserting that, yes, psychic abilities ran in his family, but he was also heavily intoxicated. Okay. So he was kind of eyed as the prime suspect, and... He faced additional scrutiny when handwriting experts speculated that he might have also been the one sending the ransom notes to Loretta prior Mm. to the girl bodies being discovered, which we all know handwriting experts. It's not a hundred percent. It's not a perfect science. Yeah, but it is. I mean, I feel like it's accurate in some cases. Yeah. Maintaining his innocence Kranz was subjected to multiple interrogations before he was ultimately ruled out and released. Wow. Another suspect in the case was 17-year-old Robert Max Fleeg, who was under suspicion primarily due to his age, which I don't understand that (laughs) because literally how many 17-year-old boys were there in this area at that time? So I'm sure there's like more to that, but I couldn't locate any additional information. Okay. Despite being protected by an Illinois law that exempted minors from polygraph tests, Chicago police captain Ralph Pettigrew managed to persuade Fleeg into taking an unofficial polygraph test. What's an unofficial polygraph test? I'm like, I'm saying like, you can't use it. So why even bother just to prove your point to make you feel better about your theory? I don't know. No sense. So shockingly, during the test, Flea confessed to the murders. Okay. So again, I I mean, 
I don't, I can't imagine polygraph tests are a lengthy process. I'm sure it's, you know, maybe an hour or two. I don't know. Yeah. But maybe under pressure, yeah. he just confessed. Interesting. But due to the lack of admissible evidence and the legal limitations, there were no charges brought forth and police eventually had to release him. Dang. Okay. Tragically, just a year later, Fleek was arrested for another heinous crime. <sighs> A brutal murder involving the use of a rolling pin after the victim, Mary Lou Wagner, resisted his sexual advances. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, makes me wonder some things, but I don't know. Yeah. He was ruled out, so. Okay. I wonder, like, what fully ruled him out. You know, know. like. I mean, it sounds like it was just because, like, he was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. So that, yeah, I feel like that's the most viable lead and suspect. Agreed. But it's also, like, I don't, if if he did, you know, allegedly, if he did, he had to have been, I would think, working with someone else because. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't a big guy, you know, like to take down two. That's true. Unless he he could have like subdued women. them, or like if he had some sort of like weapon, threaten them. True. True. Which actually that would make sense based on the medical examiner saying that they could have been poisoned. Right. But but also he's a seventeen year old boy, so he's not like a genius who like yeah. A and I feel like genius, poisoning. You know? Like I don't know. I guess you could have like put you know injected them with something, but. It's not that easy to like get them to a point where you'd be able to inject them, right? Like, right, yeah. So I don't know, but that definitely seems a little bit sketchier to me. Yeah, definitely plausible. Chief investigator for the Cook County Coroner's Office, Harry Gloss, disagreed with the official time of death of the girls, arguing that a thin layer of ice found encrusted on the sisters' bodies suggested that they had probably been alive until at least January 7th. This was because only after that date would there have been enough snowfall to react with the girls' natural body heat in that climate, forming the ice discovered on their bodies. Oh, okay. Gloss emphasized that this evidence demonstrated their bodies had been warm when they were placed beside German Church Road as only after January 7th had there been enough snow to create such a layer of ice around them. Okay. How fascinating is that? That is so interesting. I know. Gloss also argued that there had been, quote, numerous marks of violence on those girls' faces. And to him, those marks strongly indicated that the girls were recipients of violence. So he just decided he was going to do his own thing. And on February 14th, 1957, Gloss held a press conference at his private home in Cook County. He insisted that Barbara and Patricia could not have died on December 28th. And he revealed that lab results indicated that Barbara had also been sexually assaulted. A harrowing revelation that sent shockwaves through the community wow so there was semen found 
um, with Barbara and they tried to rule it out as because there was no indication of forced sex that it was consensual. Okay. Oh, so. Right. We don't really know because I don't think in every case forced sex leaves like indications like, yeah like uh what am i what's the word i'm looking for i don't know but yeah it, i don't think it always shows up necessarily as like yeah. a violent crime like i think that people can get raped right. and not have indications of that have that especially if she was like subdued somehow yep. and didn't fight back that's not necessarily going to show any signs right. but Gloss was promptly fired as he refused to publicly recant his claims. Okay. Yeah. There have been many theories as to what exactly happened to Barbara and Patricia Grimes, but unfortunately, today, their case still remains unsolved. Wow. In November of 2022, an article came out on NewsNation.com claiming interest in their case had been revived so a retired chicago police detective james hennigan made claims that he had uncovered critical clues in their case now he didn't elaborate as to what their clues are those clues were but the chicago police department is still begging for the public's help in solving the case as no public advancements have been made Okay. As the case remained unsolved, haunting Loretta Grimes for decades, in an act of unwavering dedication, she volunteered her time at the Bridewell Prison, just a short distance away from where her daughter's bodies were discovered. Mm. Why does that make me like so I know, emotional? I like, wanted to be close and like help out. I know. Yeah. Despite the passage of time, the authorities are reassured Loretta that they would never abandon the pursuit of justice. And it sounds like they, they really haven't. I mean, it sounds like they're still as actively as they can be investigating their case. Yeah. But there's just not a lot that they can Anything. go on. Yeah. I mean, could this be a case that like, if it's somebody that's not in the system and then, because they have the DNA from the semen, right? So I don't know. I don't like, yes, they have the semen sample, but I don't know if they've like ran it in any against any database. I feel like they probably had to have and maybe there's not been a match, but that could be yeah. a case where like either genetic genealogy one day could solve it or hopefully they have it in some sort of in like CODIS or something where if somebody, if a criminal is caught for another crime and gets their DNA run, it right. could come back as a match. But also this was a long time ago. So the likelihood yeah. that like the criminal get is going to get caught of another crime now, now is yeah. probably unlikely. But genetic genealogy could one day lead to a match if they do have DNA from that sample. At least link it to another case because – yeah. I mean, there's always that possibility that this was not a one-off, you know, murder. Right. Hey, guys. It's Andrea, and I am editing this episode, and I went to confirm that 
they did or did not have a DNA sample because in my original source, it did not list whether or not the sample was compared to other DNA databases. But I have since learned that the sample was lost. So unfortunately, it can never be compared to any other DNA. So, yeah. Sadly, the answers Loretta longed for eluded her. And in 1989, at the age of 83, she passed away, carrying the burden of never solving the chilling mystery of her daughter's murders. Mm, That's even, like, sadder that she just never got answers. I know. I always hate when, like, the parents of murdered children pass away before they get that justice, you know? Yeah. At the time of her death, Barbara was a high school sophomore. She was known for her beautiful smile and for being the serious older sister, whereas Patricia, (laughs) who sometimes went by Petey, was the more fun-loving and energetic one. Patricia was only in the seventh grade at the time of her murder. Oh. Not only were the girls sisters, but they were also the best of friends. The community often says that December 28, 1956, was when Chicago lost its innocence and that their community never truly recovered from this horrific crime. Yeah. And it's so sad, too, because one of the articles I read was talking about um, the girls. They went to a Catholic school, Mm -hmm. and when... One of the sisters walked in to tell their class what had happened, that they went completely silent. Wow. Oh, that gave me chills. I know. Oh, my God. That you could have, like, literally heard a pin drop in that classroom. And it just – it did. I mean, it, it they they it affected their community so greatly, and they just never reco- recovered from right. this. I mean, because- that's such a horrific – act and to not know who did it and not have answers as to why it happened yeah and you want to hear something crazy so (laughs) just just a couple of years earlier it might have only been like one year earlier a very similar crime happened in the same area i don't think it was the same town but i think it might have been like a neighboring town where three young boys were murdered oh and i think that case eventually got solved and it kind of was weird to me that they didn't like connect yeah, the but cases I feel like necessarily. Cases but like this, the victim, like who the victims are, can really be an indicator. And if it was like young yeah. boys versus young girls, yeah. I feel like the motive for that killer and their manner of death was yeah way different. that too. Like, so boys were like brutally attacked and killed. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's um, still still just creepy. It is to. To have a community, an area, a you know, county, whatever, go through two horrific right crimes like this back so to close back. Together. Like, yeah. It's just unfathomable. But I will have listed um in the show notes below um the tip line or tip uh like website that you know, anybody can use if they have any information about this case, as well as all the contact information for um, reaching out to share any information that you may have. But that is all I have for you guys on the murders of Deborah and Patricia Grimes. I really Um, hope one day this can be solved. And I really think 
it could be one day. Like, I feel like this could be one of those cases that one day there's a hit on some sort of evidence that maybe they haven't shared about super publicly. And yeah, that leads to answers. That's what I hope, too. I hope that that retired detective, like, really has some something yeah. good I feel like, to move forward with. Yeah. I feel like the, the possibility is there. So I'm yeah. putting it out there that this is going to be one of those solved cases. And also, I didn't want to include this just because I could only find it in one source. And typically, I don't necessarily like to include stuff that might be, like, speculatory. But I read in one of the sources that um, Loretta, their mother, made a statement like several, like two decades later or something, that she knew who committed the crime, but she never oh, gave a up. a name or anything. I don't believe um, that. I don't believe it either. But I, was I don't just believe like, with how like steadfast involved. she was that yeah. she would have not, not said, said something. Anything. Yeah. Unless she did tell police and then it led nowhere, which, you know. Yeah, but even then, I feel but... like she would come out and say, yeah, I told police, like, I yeah. I thought I knew and it didn't lead anywhere. She wouldn't just say, like, right. oh, I know who it is, but I'm not going to say anything. Right. Yeah, that's what that, that was my thoughts, too. I was just like, that's interesting. So I wasn't going to include it because I was like, it's there's not a lot of weight yeah. to it, but yeah. It's still interesting, though. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah. So there was, you know, lots of rumors, lots of theories flying around this case, and none of them seem to really lead anywhere. But of course, people always run wild with theories when it comes to murders like this. You know, two sisters yeah. killed. And again, we don't no- know why. And I feel like that just yeah. like makes things so much harder because it's like just. You know, there's no answers. I feel like it was a crime of opportunity. Like, I don't really think that it was. And I don't know. I mean, it could be somebody that knew them. But um, because that was kind of what was insinuated with that claim that the mother knew. Yeah. But it just to me, it feels like a crime of opportunity. Like maybe they were seen leaving the theater or walking to the bus or whatever. Um. But there was like so many eyewitnesses accounts right? between the time they went missing until the time their bodies were discovered. So, which again, people are going to see what they want to see and think what they want to think. Yeah. And, you know, your memory is not foolproof. So, But it still is um, crazy that, that there were like that many people out and witness accounts and they're just nobody saw anything. Yeah. So that almost makes me wonder if it was like a some sort of like killer that had I don't want to say serial killer but like somebody who had done this before and so they knew what they were doing mm-hmm. and it was like a a crime of opportunity by somebody who had killed before and they just grabbed them yep. and were able to get away before anybody could see and that's really what I think yeah yeah wild mm, wow sad. but yeah I really hope yeah. I really hope it gets solved sooner than later I think it will. I really think that this is one of those cases that can be solved. Yeah. But that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you all so much for listening. We will have a brand new case for you guys later this week. But until then, keep it human. Bye, guys.